I want to be reading, begin reading in chapter 27, and I want to pick up in uh, verse 40, and then we'll go all the way through verse 9 of chapter, uh, chapter 28. If you're physically able, I would invite you, if you would, to stand as we read the Word of God together. Excuse me, we'll pick up in verse 41 of chapter 27. That's what the Word of God has to say. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him." Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the, to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and take your, as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethel, the, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, and, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, "You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women." And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that, uh, that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wife he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. Nabioth. In August of 2005, Tropical storm Katrina was building in the Atlantic Ocean. Before it crossed over South Florida and into the, the Gulf of Mexico. When it passed into the Gulf of Mexico, it began to grow in strength in its warm water. 
And before it made landfall on August the 29th, it had become at one point a Category 5 hurricane, even before reducing some to Category 4 when it made landfall. And many thought that was a good thing, that it had been reduced when it actually made landfall. When it it began to make its way north, coming across New Orleans and going up, Uh, north into the interior of the United States. Like all hurricanes, Hurricane Katrina brought devastation in its wake um, from flooding, from wind damage, from all kinds of things that the storm brought. And the damage of the storm by itself was significant. It was a big deal. And all the storm would would cause somewhere in the neighborhood of $160 billion worth of damage. But the story of Katrina wouldn't necessarily be just about the storm. The story of Katrina would really be about how the nation, how cities, how states responded to the aftermath of the storm. By September, an estimated 30,000 people were seeking refuge and shelter in the Superdome. Long-established government corruption and incompetence led to a disastrous rescue effort. Shortages of food and portable water and and, had quickly become an issue and daily temperatures that reached 90 degrees and and upwards were were causing all kinds of habits, uh, um, havoc. Um, The absence of basic sanitation combined with the the, the ever-present bacteria-filled water created a public health crisis that we had really not seen before. It was not until September the the 2nd that um, an uh, an effective military presence was established in the city uh, of New Orleans and National Guard troops mobilized to begin to distribute water and food. In a lot of ways, Hurricane Katrina's, uh, the response to its aftermath was worse, more damaging than the actual storm itself. Uh, This passage that we read this morning is the account of how Isaac and Rebekah, Esau and Jacob, each responded to the sinful failures each of them had participated as they each sought their own selfish pursuit. Now, just as a recap, God had promised to pour his blessing, to give the blessing that had gone from Abraham to Isaac, not to Isaac's firstborn son, but to his secondborn son, Jacob. And for most of their life, Jacob, excuse me, that Isaac and Esau had been fighting against God, trying to thwart the will of God. In the passage we read last week and I preached from, Rebekah and Jacob schemed and lied and tricked Isaac to steal the blessing that God had already promised to them. Isaac and Esau were attempting to outsmart God and secretly give the blessing to Esau. All of them failed in some way. Jacob did get the blessing, but it cost him and Rebekah more than they realized. Esau did not get the blessing and became angry. Isaac realized in trying to scheme against God that he was standing on holy ground. He violently trembled before the presence of God. And we talked about how he had a change of heart as he realized that God had been present and powerful through it all. And now in this passage, we come to the aftermath, how each of them will respond to the disastrous decisions that they had made in the previous parts of the passage. 
Each family member is attempting to recover from their failure. We'll see where some are trying to minimize the cost of sin. We'll see how one is refusing to repent, and we'll see how one gives a beautiful testimony to repentance. So kind of like last week, this week too, I'm going to take each of these these people, we're going to use them, speak about them, allow them to testify how we should not and how we should recover from failure. Here's how we'll divide it. One will talk about the destruction of unrepentance, and we'll look at Esau. Esau refuses to repent. We'll, we'll look at the unexpected cost of sin, and we'll consider how Rebecca and Jacob both tried to, to minimize, tried to cover up, tried to work around the cost of their sin. And then we're going to look at Isaac, who really is the star in this, in this passage, and his testimony of repentance and humility before God. Let's begin with Esau. And Esau's testimony of the destruction of unrepentance. Now, we see that in, in the beginning of the chapter, uh, in the beginning of, of the passage where we read in verse 41, where it says that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. We also see that in, verse 20, in chapter 28, in, in verse 6, 7, and, and 8, and 9, when he realizes that what his father and mother want is for, for his, their children not to marry Canaanite women. And he says, listen, if that's what they don't want, if that's what they want for me to, to marry somebody other than Canaanite women, I'll do exactly the opposite. So I'll, I'll kind of stick my nose up at them, and I'll do what will not bless them. A couple of things about, that come out of the destruction of unrepentance. And the first is we see with Esau that his heart hates what is holy. His heart hates what is holy. Now, in verse 41 of chapter 27, it tells us that Esau hated Jacob and that he planned to kill his brother. Now, just a show of hands, and guys, stick them up high. How many of you have siblings? Let me see your hands. All right, so most of us in this room have siblings. Now, don't raise your hand on this one. Do not raise your hand on this one, okay? I have a sister, a younger sister, two years younger than me. I love her dearly today. But growing up, sometimes we did not see eye to eye. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I can empathize with Esau in this sentiment. Can you imagine how frustrated and angry a brother would be against his younger brother? Because now he has stolen what Esau wanted. Now, set aside what God had said. Set aside right and wrong. Esau wanted the blessing. Jacob stole it from him. If you have a sibling today, then there's a part of you that goes, I get it. I understand what's coming out of Esau's mouth. But let that stop right there. Because we do not want to empathize with Esau's refusal to repent. We may understand his anger at Jacob, but his anger at Jacob goes much deeper than just sibling rivalry. And it, goes much, it is much more serious than just being angry at his brother. He says, I want to, I hate my brother. And he basically says, as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. 
Now, these are not idle threats. In fact, we understand they're not idle threats because when Rebecca hears of them, she is afraid for her son's life. We, we recognize that Jacob understands the seriousness of them as well because when, when she says, you've got to go, he goes. And so th- these are not idle threats. They, they believe that Esau absolutely means this. He's not just angry and spouting off. He's angry and he's declaring what he's going to do. As soon as dad is in his grave, I'm going to kill my brother. Now, I think there's more than just being angry here as an angry brother. Esau says that he hates his brother, but in truth, I think what's happening is he hates God. Follow this with me. He hates God's sovereign choice to choose Jacob over him. God declared before these boys were born that God's blessing was going to go to to Jacob, and Esau has hated that from day one. He has worked against what God declared from day one. And even as God's sovereignty has borne fruit and God's blessing has gone to Jacob despite the efforts of Esau and Isaac, Esau is mad and he is angry and he hates not just his brother, he hates the sovereignty and power of God himself because he wants what God has not declared. He hates God for thwarting his and his father's plan to try and go around what God had declared. He desires to kill Jacob, and his desire to kill Jacob is a direct, wicked decision to actively oppose the will of God. So I think what Esau is saying here is God may think he has won, but I'll show God. I'll kill Jacob. Then where will the blessing go? Well, he's the only other son, and so the blessing would go to him. Friends, to oppose the will of God, listen to me carefully, to oppose the will of God is to oppose God. When you work against the will of God, you're not fighting flesh and blood. When you oppose and work against the will of God, you are fighting against the sovereign God of all eternity. Esau in his anger is not just angry at his brother. Esau, in his anger, is angry at what is holy. He hates the righteous, sovereign choice of God. To hate the will of God is to hate God. Martin Luther wrote about this passage saying, He is angry not only with his brother, but also with his parents and with God himself, whose blessing, as he knows, it is, and from whom alone it was also to be expected. He's hating God. He's hating what is holy. Esau turned his heart against the will of God and gave himself to hating what is holy. Now, in, the, in last week's passage, when Isaac recognized the, the sovereignty, the power, the presence of God, it says he trembled violently. In other words, he, he turned his heart, he turned his mind, he turned his life, sovereign, humbly submitted himself to the, to the will of God. But Esau is doubling down. And it's being expressed here with hatred. Oh, dear friends, hating what is holy makes you in opposition to God. And as we have said before, and we will say again, when you fight God, you always lose. He's hating what is holy, and he is rejecting what is good. Now, theologically, we might recognize that because Esau is hating what is holy, it's going to go bad for him. 
I appreciate that. But, but this second one, rejecting what is good for me, is just the saddest. Because in rejecting what is good, you have this, I'm going to call it self-destructive behavior. So in, verse, uh, in chapter 28, verse 9, the Bible gives insight into the heart behind Esau's decision to marry Canaanite women. And it says that he was driven by a desire to dishonor, to oppose, and to disobey his father. Look at what it says in verse 9 of chapter 28. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives um, of Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabioth. And it says in verse 8 that when he saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, that's when he decided to marry these women. He's marrying Canaanite women out of spite. The, only, the best way, I think, to describe his behavior is self-destruction. He is so filled with anger, he is so driven by pride, that his heart's desire is to oppose every authority in his life. He hates God for God's sovereign choice of his brother, actively trying to do the opposite of what God desires. And he hates his father, actively doing what will dishonor, disobey, and, and break his father's heart. And I want you to see something here, friends. Through this separation, Esau rejects the blessing of God. Now you might say, wait a minute. God had already declared that Jacob was to receive the blessing that went with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And that is absolutely true. But even though Esau was not to be the son who was to receive the blessing and carry the promise of God that God had made to Abraham, there was still a blessing to be had by being in relationship with his family and being in relationship with God. Remember who Esau is. Esau is the grandson of Abraham. Esau is the son of Isaac. And Esau is the brother of Jacob. Certainly, there would have been a blessing connected to being in relationship with these men whom God was using to bring about salvation to the world. There would have been a blessing just in being in a right relationship with them, and there's certainly a blessing to being in a right relationship with God. And yet Esau says, I don't want any of this, and I'm going to do everything in my life to reject that. He would marry who would defile himself, he would marry who would dishonor his father, and he would ultimately move away and separate himself physically from his family. If Esau could not have what he wanted, he would reject everything that was good. Now, as I have been thinking about Esau and his self-destructive response, I, there's a story in the New Testament that, that testifies to one who was blessed because they did not reject what was good. In Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark recounts a, a, the event when a Gentile woman whose little daughter, her, her baby girl, was possessed by an unclean spirit. And she comes to Jesus, and she asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 27, let the children be fed first. In other words, he's talking about Jewish, the Jews. Let the, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, if you get called a dog, that should aggravate you, should frustrate you, should offend you a little bit. 
And certainly this woman could have responded uh, to Jesus with uh, angry, anger and offense and even rejected Jesus, but, but she recognizes that whatever grace comes from Jesus is better than nothing. So listen to what this woman says to Jesus. It says, but she answered him say, saying, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And the Bible says, and, and, and following what she responds, Jesus responds this way, for this, for, this sta- for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Here's the point. She recognized that even the crumbs of grace were better than no grace at all. Even the crumbs of grace were better than no grace at all. For Esau, just being in the household of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, being in a household of faith under the sovereignty and blessing of God would have been better than nothing at all. But because Esau refused to repent and humble himself before God, he hated God. He hated what was holy. And that would lead him to reject everything that was good. He did not recognize that even the blessing of serving his brother was better than being separated from his family and his God. And he would spend the rest of his life outside of the blessing of God, hating what was holy and rejecting what was good. Friends, responding to failure. Responding to failure, one of the first questions will be, will you repent? And if you refuse to repent, it'll lead you down the same direction that Esau went, to hating what is holy and rejecting what was good. What is good. Then we have Rebecca and Jacob. And Rebecca and Jacob are coming to understand not fully yet, but they're coming to understand the unexpected cost of sin. Look with me in chapter 27, verse 42. It says, But when the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him. And here is a key word or a phrase. Stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done. Interesting enough, those of you who raised your hand, some of you have siblings who have yet to forget what you have done when you were three years old. So I don't know what Rebecca was thinking. But what... What she is employing here, what she's participating here, is something familiar to all of us. And that is that we think, that we plan, that we assume that the cost of our sin is going to be minimal. That the consequence of our sin is going to be manageable. But the reality, friends, is that sin always costs more than what is expected. Rebecca has been scheming from the beginning, and now the unpleasant cost of her schemes have come to bear, and she still thinks that she can work her way through it. So God had promised to Rebecca that Jacob would be the blessed son. If Rebecca had done nothing but wait on God, God would have brought about his will. The will of God will always come to be. 
But instead of waiting on the will of God, Rebecca from the beginning has been scheming, even encouraging her son to lie and to trick her husband Isaac into giving him the blessing. And because of her scheming and because of Jacob's lying, all kinds of dysfunction are flowing. And now the threat, the real threat of murder from from Esau is at play. And she's still trying to manipulate, to manage, to minimize the cost of her sin. She believed that that she had everything under control. She believed that she could minimize and contain the consequences of her sin. And verse 44 reveals her expectation that, that she is still in control. She says, Jacob, now you go to my brother's house. Stay there for a little while. Just going to be maybe a couple of months, maybe a year or two. Then you come back. Esau's going to forget it. It'll all blow over and everything will be, will be fine. She expected the cost of her sin to be limited to a temporary separation from Jacob. But do you know the reality of it is? Rebecca would never lay eyes on her son again. He would be gone over 20 years and she would die before he would return. And in fact, she says, why should I be bereft of two sons? But the reality of it is she would lose Jacob because he would move away and she'd never see him again. And Esau would move away and reject his family. So in this moment, she does in fact lose both sons for the rest of her life. She's not mentioned again in Scripture except for a brief reference in Genesis 49 where it says where she is buried, where she and Isaac are buried. Friends, in arrogance and pride... We minimize sin. Oh, it won't cost that much. Oh, it won't be that much time. We use words like a little while, just a bit, not so bad. But the truth is the destruction of sin is always greater than we expected. It is always greater than we planned. The cost of sin is always more than we anticipated. Dear friends, when we minimize sin, it gives us confidence in our sin. And it's an arrogant assumption that we are in control. Humility would lead us to recognize that sin's destruction is always more than we expected. But there's something else here that I think we can see, and that sin forfeits the blessing of God. And I I see this more so on, on Jacob's side of the story. So Jacob, who was a cheater and a liar, would go to live with his uncle, and he ultimately would be cheated and lied to. So his uncle would uh, cheat him, and so Jacob would have to serve as a herdsman and basically a a household servant of his uncle for, and eventually his father-in-law, for a long time. uh, Being tricked and cheated. His own children would lie to him later. Um, when they, uh, about, about his other, about his son, um, Joseph. Jacob uh, should have spent the next years of his life enjoying the wealth and blessing received from his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. Remember, Jacob is the rightful heir of the blessing. He has received the birthright. He has received the blessing. He should have received the wealth and the blessing of Abraham and Isaac. He should not be living as a herdsman, as a servant. He should be living as the household family leader. And yet, because of his scheming and because of his lying, instead of enjoying the blessing and wealth that should have been his, he will spend the next 20 years as a servant and as a a herdsman. 
Listen to me carefully here. Through sin, you may get what you want. Listen to me carefully. Through sin, you may just get what you want. But if you achieve it through sin, you forfeit the blessing of God. It would have been better for Jacob to wait on the Lord and receive what God had promised with the full blessings of God rather than get what he wanted through scheming and lying and forfeit the blessing of God. God's will would be accomplished, but Jacob would not enjoy for a very long time the full blessing of God. Recovering from failure. Recovering from failure, friends, we should recognize that sin will cost you more than you expect. And sin causes you to forfeit the fullness of God's blessing. But there is a good note in this passage. And we see that with Isaac. And we see in Isaac a good testimony of repentance. Really, he's the polar opposite of his son, Esau. So in just the previous passage, when Isaac realizes that even though he had schemed to give the blessing to Esau instead of Jacob as God had declared, when Esau realized that, it tells us that he violently shook because he understood that he had been opposing the the will and the righteousness of God. And the testimony of his transformation, of his repentant heart, is borne out in this passage. And I want you to see some things about, about Isaac that are, that are the product of a testimony of repentance. And the first is this. There is peace in the presence of God. So he goes from shaking violently because he is trying to oppose the will of God to being at peace in the presence of God. So in, in, in chapter 28, verse 3, Isaac again blesses Jacob. And I, I want to draw your attention to the very first word of his blessing. Um, and it's a unique reference to, uh, to, to God. Most of your English translations probably render this as God Almighty. That's how I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And in verse 3, uh, it says, um, uh, in verse 3, it, it, it uses that God Almighty. So it says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Now, this isn't the first time this this, uh, this name for God has been used. And the, the God Almighty is a rendering of the name El Shaddai. Now the first time we see El Shaddai used in Scripture was not spoken by somebody. It was actually spoken by God himself when he appeared before Abraham when he was 99 years old. And God spoke these words in Genesis 17 where he says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Isaac uses his name because he knows that God is both mighty and present. Mighty to accomplish his perfect will and always present and always working. In other words, he's recognizing, listen, for all of my scheming and all of my trying, El Shaddai has been working to bring about his power to his will through his mighty power from Abraham through himself and now through his son, 
Jacob. One commentator wrote, he said, earlier he had been weak and willful, but God had shaken him to his foundations and and, and he is now determined to please God. Friends, when we attempt to force our own way, there is strife and brokenness. There's lots of that in Isaac's family. But repentance leads to peace when we walk in obedience before the presence of God. There is peace when we declare El Shaddai. There is peace when we recognize God Almighty is ruling in this place and in my life. Strife and destruction come from our own wickedness and sin, but peace comes from standing in the presence of El Shaddai. Something else here. And that there is a testimony to faith in the promises of God. The first time Isaac blesses Jacob, he, was, he did it unwillingly because he was tricked into it. So Jacob tricked his dad, cooked a stew, lied to his dad, told him he was Esau. And because Isaac was blind and couldn't see very well, believed him. Jacob even put uh, uh, animal skin on his own skin so that when Isaac touched him, he would feel the hair and think it was Esau, his brother. But this time, when Isaac offers his blessing, he does it freely. And when you compare the two blessings, the first one was rather basic and worldly focused. And so he was talking about, you know, that that you would do well in this world. But the second blessing is bolder and it is stronger. The words that Isaac uses to bless Jacob is similar this time to the wording that God used when he blessed Abraham and Isaac himself. So to Abraham, God had said in Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, And El Shaddai appeared and said, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but but your name shall shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. To Isaac himself, God had said in Genesis 26, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall uh, tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. And God will reaffirm that covenant to Jacob in just a few verses, in verses 13, 14, and 15 of this chapter. Previously, Isaac thought little of the promise of God, and he was willing to give it to his oldest son for, little, for, 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 for literally just a, a cooked meal. But now he repeats the words he had heard before, He repeats the words he had heard his father recount 
that God spoke to him. He repeats the words that he had heard out of God's own mouth as they were spoken to him. Friends, repentance leads to faith in God's ability to be faithful and able to keep his promises. Outside of repentance, you're trying to make things happen in your own might. But when we repent, there is produced in us a faith in the promises of God and his ability to keep them and bring them to be. One last thing. Isaac is surrendered to the will of God. Previously, Isaac attempted to work against the will of God. He knew, he's known what the will of God was from before Isaac, before Jacob and Esau were born. And he'd been working against it for most of his life. But now, Isaac affirms what he knows is the will of God as he blesses Jacob, his son. Friends, when you oppose the will of God, it's kind of like swimming against a very strong current. I don't know if you've ever done that. Whether it's in the ocean or it's in, the, in a river, you can swim against a strong current. And when you do, you give a lot of effort, you exhaust yourself, you work really hard, and you hardly move at all. In fact, sometimes, even as you are working, you're not even, you're not even making forward process, progress, you're actually moving backwards. And conversely, when you turn and you swim with the current, your labor is multiplied. Your effort is exp exp exponentially made greater as you're carried along with the current and your, your labor and your work as you swim with the current is even increased. When you repent, you turn from pursuing your own will and way and instead you turn and work according to the will of God. You turn your efforts from working against God and you give yourself to accomplishing God's word. It's like turning from trying to swim against the current and turning around and swimming with the current. Surrendering to God's will empowers you to be a participant in what God is doing. What's the difference between Chapter 27 and chapter 28 in Isaac's life. In chapter 27, Isaac is working against the will of God and accomplishing nothing. In chapter 28, this old man has repented. And in his old age, blind and feeble, close to death, he's now accomplishing more for the will of God than he has for all the previous years of his life. Because he has surrendered to the will of God. And now out of his mouth, beautifully, he's speaking according to the will of God. No one likes to fail, but everyone knows failure. I don't know who this person would be in your life, but I suspect that each of us have a person in our imagination that we think is so spiritual, so godly, so righteous that they never struggle with sin. So imagine that person with me for just a minute. If they're in the room, if you want to cut a look at them out of the corner of your eye, that's fine. But I want you to understand something. Even that person fails. No one likes to fail, but all, everyone will know failure. When we fail to live for Jesus, 
When we give ourselves to sin, this is a great failure indeed. The question for us today is not if you have failed. The question for us today is how will you respond when you fail? Will you respond like Esau? He refused to repent. He blamed others for his own sin. And he added sin to sin as he attempted to thwart the will of God, hating what was holy and rejecting what was good. Repentance requires that you humble yourself before God, and his pride would not let him do that. Are you responding to your sinful failure this morning by refusing to repent? Oh, dear friends, do not be like Esau. Will you suffer like Rebecca and Jacob? Have you foolishly assumed you could avoid the consequence of consequences of your sin do you think that you can avoid having to suffer as a result of your sin dear friends reckon with the devastation of your sin and cry out to the lord right now repenting of your sin and seeking the lord in your repentance not continuing to try to manage and overcome those consequences of your sin oh run to the lord today I would encourage you today to be like Isaac. To have the peace of knowing God's power. To have the faith that God's will is being accomplished and He will bring about every promise that He has made. And surrendering your life in humility before the power, the majesty, the sovereignty of God. Isaac is an old man. He spent much of his life not living a life that was all that um, admirable. But you can say about Isaac, he finished well. Because he repented of his sin and he surrendered his life to the glory of God. The question this morning is not if you fail. The question this morning is when you fail. How will you respond to that failure? And Scripture's testimony to you is repent and surrender your life to the Lord. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.